Hey, Daniel, how's it going? Hey, Evan. Uh, it's Friday. I'm going pumpkin picking this weekend, which should be fun. Um, how about you? What are you doing? Let's see, uh, this weekend, oh, my mom is having her 70th birthday on Sunday. So we are doing like a little family get together, some wine tasting. And then I don't know. Uh, oh, I guess I'm do I'm it's wine club season, so I gotta go pick up I gotta go on my like Oregon trail, as I'll call it, of hitting all of the wineries that I overly belonged to. So Just make I, sure you avoid dysentery on your trip. So. Uh, <laughs> that or scarlet fever, right? What if you do? <laughs> if the wagon breaks down, I'll call you. <laughs> um, yeah, pumpkin picking. Are you guys carving pumpkins too? Yeah, it's like the we had some friends coming up. It's the whole Halloween. We're what well, we're recording here on October twenty seventh. I think we have little kids running by for candy as well. So be a busy weekend. Nice, nice. Uh, I can't believe it's already right around the quarter. Uh, and my daughter's costume has yet to arrive. It's on delayed delivery. So I told her she needs to pick something else. I might be making a Mario Kart this weekend, too. We'll see how that pans out. All right. Well, uh, today's episode is episode 20. Uh, it'll actually drop, I think, mid-November for listeners. So, uh, yeah, we are talking about Halloween in November, so uh, just go with it, I guess. So today's a special field report on navigating AI and innovation in healthcare space. Uh, so should we jump in or yeah, talk about the holiday? Let's jump in. Yeah, we've uh, we've exhausted Halloween, although maybe we'll get some more Halloween comments from our guest. Uh, so for today's guest today, uh, a former Epic employee uh, like myself, so glad to have another one on the podcast. And a certified project manager professional, PMP, for folks uh, that don't know that acronym. And with over 10 years of experience in leading enterprise installs and managing strategic implementation teams, uh, and is a leader who focuses on uh, maximizing value and rev cycle across patient access and IT. Um, Our director of partner success, thanks, Freeman, for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be with you all again. Thanks for having me back really enjoying all the fall vibes to kick off this conversation. I uh, I sent my now three-year-old son off to daycare today in a, in a full penguin costume. So we're, we're having fun with it over here too. Nice. Nice. Are you trick-or-treating this year? Yeah. Yeah. Go? yeah we're going to go about a mile away over to grandma's house. She's got the prime, prime real estate for trick-or-treating in town here in Corvallis, Oregon. Daniel, are you guys trick-or-treating with the dog or just answering the door? So we do have outfits. Um, my dog's name is George. So we're he's going to be Curious George in a little monkey outfit. And we are the uh, man in the yellow yellow hat. So we have like yellow hats and yellow outfits. So that should be fun. Uh, but we're just manning the door this year. Nice. I, I, I'm sure you're the first house since uh, sometimes we hear the school behind you. So. Yeah, I live right next to an elementary school, so I get to see all the kids in their outfits, too. Uh, well, let's jump in. So, Freeman, you just attended Becker's IT and Revenue uh, Cycle Conference back in the first part of October. Um, can you share some of the highlights that you had? Sure. Yeah. Uh, can I start off with two personal ones? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. This was kind of my first time back out in the conference world since pre-pandemic. So just on like a personal note, it was really great to get back out there and see all the folks that I've been missing for the last few years. Um, 
really energizing to be there and all the buzz and all the leaders from all of our partners and health systems across the country. Um, and I'd, I'd actually been working on a long-term project over most of the pandemic with a bunch of folks in Pittsburgh and a couple of them attended. So people that I, you know, work super closely with, uh, day in and day out i never met in person but they were there so it was really awesome to get to get to see them uh face to face and, and get some long overdue hugs uh and then uh another sort of funny highlight was one of the keynote speakers was tim tebow this year uh and so i got to shake his hand and i got to watch him uh, hit a golf ball at one of the vendor booths so that was that was pretty exciting wow tim tebow i wouldn't have thought that uh, yeah, <laughs> what do you have to talk was, about? <laughs> I thought it was kind of out of left field too. Um, but I guess outside of sports and football, he has a pretty good passion for bringing healthcare to um, sort of the underdeveloped world. So he helps set up a bunch of clinics all over um, Sub-Saharan Africa and places like that. So he had, he had quite a bit to say on the subject, actually. Um, so it, was, it wasn't just all uh, locker room talk. It was pretty substantive for the, the conference. That was great. And outside of um, like meeting up with like folks for long overdue hugs, which we can do now because the pandemic, I guess, is maybe over and uh, you're getting to see some other folks and meet Tim Tebow. Uh, what were some of the other highlights that um, or were sharing or letting folks know about what happened at Becker's? Yeah. So Becker's is an interesting conference. It's really um, provider heavy. So, you know, there's an exhibit hall and there's booths and stuff like that with vendors like most conferences, which, you know, you'd expect and it's interesting. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about that later, but, you know, all the attendees are really, you know, C-suite level, VP director level folks from revenue cycle predominantly. Um, so a great chance to meet a lot of those folks, talk with a lot of those folks. And I think the most interesting things for me and most of the attendees were Becker's hosts, like four rooms of panels for the entire conference. And those are all um, comprised of providers for the most part. Um, sometimes there'll be a vendor partner up there with them, but you really get to hear from the folks that are doing all this work uh, in revenue cycle and IT innovation, kind of what their experience has been, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. Um, so that was the most interesting. And then afterwards, you know, there's time to like go up and ask questions and talk to them about the things that they presented on. So for me, and I think a lot of the attendees, that's, you know, one of the big draws of Becker's is those panels and those folks that speak on those. Um, as far as like, you know, big themes that we were talking about, you know, no surprise, it was a lot around AI and automation. Um, and really through the lens of like how to tackle that while dealing with declining reimbursement, staffing shortages, tight budgets, all the stuff that our, our provider partners are experiencing right now. Um, so acknowledging those challenges, but then also knowing that we need to move that ball forward and adopt some of these new technologies. Um, as far as like where the current state is right now, you know, there's there's a ton to unpack there, which I think we'll do throughout the rest of the episode. But at a high level, you know, sort of the baseline now for adopting these newer technologies is RPA. Um, there's a lot of vendors out in that space. A lot of organizations are doing it themselves with bots. Um, and when I say RPA, I mean robot process automation. So taking a piece of a workflow or a whole workflow and uh, using a bot to drive it instead of a, a human. Um, and there's vendors out there that are starting to develop, you know, big app, big libraries of little microbots, you know, that can kind of plug and play in those spaces. Companies like, you know, Droidal or Absolute Automations or Aprio, um, they all do that sort of work. Um, 
So most of the large health systems have a pretty robust bot footprint. We can talk about the success of that a little bit more later. It's pretty mixed. Uh, there's a ton of outsourcing going on still. Uh, a lot of that's supported by RPA, and a lot of these outsourcing firms are using digital workforce now uh, instead of just hands-on keyboards um, somewhere offshore. Uh, they are actually using bots to do a lot of that sort of rote work that used to have to go to folks like that. Um, and then there's a lot of adoption around you know, machine learning models for things like analyzing denials, payer behavior, all that stuff starting to take a foothold. You know, firms like Claim Capital and things like things like them are sort of pushing the envelope in that space. A lot of organizations are trying to figure it out on their own and struggling a little bit. Um, so I think they've kind of seen uh, a good opportunity there to crunch all that big remit data uh, and start to kind of peel back what payer behavior is happening and sort of tip the scales back towards uh, the provider side a little bit. And then the the big, like, the golden egg that's out there is just how AI, like generative AI, uh, is going to impact healthcare. And the landscape is going to be so different in five years. Um, folks are really trying to push the envelope right now in the clinical space. Um, you know, firms like uh, Abridge, they just announced they got a big Series B investment. They're partnering with Epic. You know, the idea is to structure using generative AI, the whole conversation between a physician and a patient. And so for revenue cycling, you know, that means we'll have a whole lot more data that we can leverage to do things like autonomous coding, uh, mid-revenue cycle work around charging that AI. Uh, but we don't even know what's really possible yet in that space until <laughs> that technology starts to get adopted, but the sky is kind of the limit. So people are super excited about it. Um, but the landscape's going to shift a ton over the next few years. Do you think, it, uh, Freeman, with that and, you know, looking at it from a health plan perspective or, you know, a provider perspective versus a health plan perspective, it, are, are providers and, and health systems behind the eight ball uh, from, from a <laughs> plan or are they, uh, it, is the buzz kind of everybody's in it at the same time right now? Yeah, uh, I heard one like C-suite uh, person call it an arms race. Um, is how they're feeling about it. So it's it is adversarial at times. Like health plans and payers have been using this sort of technology, especially ML and some generative AI, for quite a while now, uh, and using it to you know squeeze their organizations a bit. Uh, delaying payment, denying, or being more nuanced in how they deny things, uh, sort of keeping the providers behind a bit. Um, and so providers are, you know, feeling that crunch, which means, you know, less investment availability into those technologies. But they also see that they need to do that in order to balance the playing field a little bit again. And there are examples where payers and providers are partnering to use some of this new stuff like Cedar, I think pretty famously outed with Highmark has used this to integrate some of their health systems with some of their payer data. But um, to say it's a level playing field, I don't think is, is, is right yet. It's definitely tipped toward the payer side. I know you mentioned that there was uh, some sort of partnership going on with like Epic and just thinking about like the EMR as a system like a, a lot of health systems I've worked with are like, we want to do everything in-house with our EMR and not really look at external solutions. And do you think that's like kind of what folks are looking at right now? Or folks, is is the is the opportunity really in partnering with 
some external solution and bringing something in? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, step one is, you know, you made this, I'll talk about it through the lens of Epic because that's, you know, like a lot of our client bases in that space, you know, can Epic do it and can Epic do it well should be always your first question um, still. Uh, I think there's, you know, been more optimization and more uh, organizations leveraging Epic better, but there's still a ton of work that can be done to make Epic do a lot of the things that I think folks in the back of their minds feel like they maybe need another partner to do, which is not always true. Um, but that said, like the the rapid changes in these technologies and these emerging technologies means that even like Epic, who's been very slow to partner with outside firms, um, is starting to recognize that. So they started like a preferred partner program. I mentioned a bridge before, that's one of the preferred partners um, because they're not in, you know, they're not an AI development firm they're not sure who's going to win i think they've looked at what it would take to build it in-house and i don't think i don't think they're uh i feel like it's mature enough yet to do the development on their own and there's plenty of investment out there for all these startups to kind of do that work for them so uh they've shifted their perspective a little bit i think on outside vendors when it relates to especially generative ai um and so i think i think it's it's mixed i think if if you've checked even if you've checked every epic box, there's still so much out there that's happening right now in this space that you're going to need to find partners and new technologies to adopt. Now, that said, a lot of the big health organizations and providers out there are leaning on, you know, their platform partners um, to sort of bake a lot of this technology for them. First, epic being one of the examples so that that partner program is important and people are watching that but then also you know even companies like microsoft google and amazon are doing use cases and trying out all sorts of things with generative ai right now so a lot of the a lot of the big providers out there are looking to them um, to help them develop a strategy around this uh, and implement sort of this technology without introducing a ton of risk uh, they're looking also to some of the bigger consulting firms out there too to help them figure out how to think about this stuff because it's all just so new to everyone. You know, how do I do governance around this? How do I, how do I really find a technology that's gonna a give me a return, but then b not introduce a ton of risk into my system? Freeman, was there any buzz from like the provider side? as well i know like i know cedars has like a think tank uh, type of environment i know there's a, a few within the university of california uh, individual hospitals that you know are getting some grant money to be able to develop their own have their own development components as well are was that kind of the buzz too is starting to see more of the academics or the nonprofit bigger i'll call them bigger health system starting to develop their own or are they looking still to do more partnership with third-party um business partners yeah uh that is absolutely true there are a lot of innovation centers and venture arms of these larger systems now a lot of that you know 30 million dollar series b funding for a bridge that i mentioned before a lot of it comes from places like kaiser um there's still a ton of buzz i'd say from like a investment capital perspective there's a little bit less buzz than there was maybe in 2020 or 2021 you know i think since 2020 there's been over 20 billion dollars invested in digital health and ai 
in 2021 was about half of that, like $10 billion. So that was really the big year where all sorts of VCs were getting involved and pumping a ton of money into the system. Um, you know, like a lot of the firms around that time that really expanded fast were using a lot of that money. Uh, but it's really flattened quite a bit. You know, uh, this year, I think we're on pace for about $5 billion, so about half of that, you know, 2.2 in the first half of 2023 were invested. So there's still a lot of money getting injected into the system, but certainly not as much. Um, so still plenty of buzz. Um, and there's kind of a healthy skepticism, I think, that goes along with that with these providers. Like a lot of them know that they won't be able to figure it out on their own. So they are still investing, but they're being a little bit more strategic about who they're investing in. I think one one of the incubators for a large health system gave an example where, you know, they had vetted 300 AI-related companies and passed on all of them. Um, they hadn't found anyone yet that they really wanted to put money in because I think, I think folks are looking for things, firms that can do some in some sort of incremental improvements, like fix real problems now. Um, so they're trying to balance that against, you know, who is going to be the the firm or the partner or the the technology that makes the huge the biggest impact in in healthcare. You know, people feel like I think it's going to be generative AI in the clinical space, but um, no one's really fully implemented it yet, and there's no clear winner yet. Did they talk about the returns um, at Becker's? Thinking about like a return on investment from a venture capital, like I'm investing in these companies, or I'm a hospital, I'm investing in these companies, but also on the healthcare side, like if I'm implementing this technology, is there actually a tangible benefit for me? Yeah. Uh... I don't think there's been a ton yet, not a ton of return. <laughs> a lot of it's speculation. Uh, most of the returns that folks are talking about are around RPA um, and some machine learning analytics, um, like what Claim Capital is doing. Uh, but even the even within RPA and using bots, you know, they're not all bots are created equal when it comes to a return. So. One of the examples from one of the, the systems was, you know, they have 24 automations, they called them, uh, which was their word for bots rolled out across their system. Um, and those bots are returning about two, a little more than $2 million uh, for them. But if you do the math, it's like, you know, tens of thousand dollars per bot which I don't think is getting a ton of really large systems excited about it. Now, some of those were, you know, 20% of that return. Um, so I think it points to like the need to innovate, but the need to do it with like governance and to tackle things that have real return and real value right now. Like if they had implemented 20% of those bots and kind of stopped there and had a mechanism for doing that, I think they'd feel a lot better about their, their RPA program. Are you seeing, you know, I, we won't name the company that people are now uh, kind of put a bad taste of AI and automation and machine learning into people's minds in the revenue cycle space. But are, are you seeing a, a swift recovery, even though we, you know, we've watched major health systems invest in bringing in this vendor and then that and then needing to back out because they weren't delivering at the level or model pace that they were expecting? Some recovery. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a reluctance for a lot of companies to pick like that sort of startup platform partner and invest solely with uh, one company now. I think there are some firms out there that are still still having some success like Janus around this, but even even they have 
you know, certain targeted solutions that have been super popular with their clients. Um, and they're still trying to figure out the overall platform um, platform pitch um, and making that really successful with clients. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a mixed bag. I think most most systems are doing a blend of trying to either stand up their own wings now to do this vetting of these smaller firms, but no one's really emerged as like we're the next big AI leader in this space. Um, a lot of them are smaller solutions like like a bridge um, that are trying to tackle a very specific problem, but do it using AI. And I think there's going to be ripple effects from those smaller innovations across like all of healthcare. Like as soon as you're able to use generative AI to take a real conversation between a patient and a provider and turn it into something that, you know, a computer can understand in the structure. Um, you know, the sky's kind of the limit for that organization to use that data and all sorts of different machine learning models, advanced statistical models to improve their patient care and improve their bottom line. Like to be able to feed all that data into your coding systems and your charging systems and your revenue cycle, like, um, it's going to be really powerful. Yeah, Let's definitely can see the value. Oh, go ahead, Evan. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to... Yeah, just a quick question. Uh, did we lose you, Freeman? Nope. Nope. There he is. Good. Sorry. <laughs> um, one of the... I mean, the health system I'm working with, I was talking to them about AI, and they're like, wow, this is really expensive. And we're just like not able to throw money at a solution without knowing the value. And I still think it's like important to learn about it. So... For folks who are in RevCycle or in IT in their leadership position and evaluating this, like thinking about Beckers, is that is that the right place to start to learn about this stuff? Even if you don't maybe have the budget for it, but just to start learning about it and getting plugged in, is that would that be your recommendation? Yeah, I think they've got a good pulse on what's happening right now. I think Beckers, both as a conference as an organization, I think does a good job of taking sort of the the pie in the sky side of AI and distilling it down to what it means for provider organizations and payers. So that was a big theme of the conference was, we know this stuff's out there. How are we actually going to do something with it and make it effective? Um, so I think that was a big theme of Becker's um, versus like a conference that happened the following week, which I, uh, I want to attend in the future, but I didn't make it this time around health um, in partnership with Vibe. They had like 10,000 people in Vegas that was really the big buzzy startup digital health sort of space where a lot of big disruptors were there, like all the big platforms, Google, Microsoft, everybody that's kind of a big player in investing in these emerging technologies. was. So that's sort of the figuring out what's next. Becker's, I felt, was a little bit more of figuring out what's now and how do we deal with what's coming up next. Cool. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Claim Capital is a team of ex-Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. 
With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. At Valuware, we help healthcare organizations streamline prior authorization submissions with one platform, helping you simplify, connect, integrate, and automate each part of the process. We take your pre-existing workflow and truly automate it, including the submission and verification process. The best part? Valuware automates your prior authorization processes for all of your payers, specialties, and service lines, not just some of them. Valor is built around you. Learn more at voluware.com. That's voluware.com. And we're back. So Freeman, just based on the conversations that you're having with clients or folks at Becker's or elsewhere, uh, where do you think uh, potential business partners or where people are focusing investments, like where are they focusing development right now? Where's the the major push? Is it generative AI or is there something else that you think is the major focus? Yeah, I think there's a couple buckets. So we talked a lot about generative AI earlier and implementing it in the clinical space. I think that's where a lion's share of the investment is right now across healthcare and AI. Um, thinking about revenue cycle in specific, I think most of the investment right now is going towards mid-revenue cycle, autonomous coding, charging, automated charging, based on that generative AI work that's happening in the clinical space. Um, I think, you know, if you look at most health systems, lion's share of their operational cost and revenue cycle is coding. Um, it's definitely like a skilled labor component that uh, drives a lot of um, cost in the revenue cycle, but it also is integral into getting reimbursed from payers. So uh, folks are really trying hard to wrap their heads around that and solve it. You know, we've seen some firms have some success there. You know, there's like NIM that's out there that's having some success in ED coding and Codemetrics, which is doing some stuff around radiology, um, but it's still fairly new and fairly simple. Like they can't handle all use cases yet, and most of the time you're having a coder audit a lot of the results um, from that. But that's sort of like the big first step in RevCycle is how do we apply these technologies to coding and charging? I think it's also the uh, biggest shortfall of staff in RevCycle right now, and it has been for years of not having enough coders and trying to find them and more and more organizations, you know, were leveraging offshore coders and now they're having and now even offshore coding is falling by the wayside because they can't get enough staff after the pandemic. So, you know, it, definitely some big startups. Um, quick plug for a prior episode. Um, we had a Deo um, Technologies on, um, and they were sharing, you know, their what they're doing in the coding space and what's happening as well. So, if you're interested in listening to that episode, um, check it out. And then on the patient access front, um, maybe less so than the other two we talked about, um, but I think folks are seeing quite a bit of opportunity to use generative AI and patient engagement. Um, so using bots and using generative AI to have, you know, non-empathy based sort of conversations with patients. And I know that's a really strange sort of statement, but that's really kind of the line that folks are drawing. It's inpatient access, most of it's patient facing, most of it requires empathy and AI and generative AI isn't 
isn't able to really do that right now. Like they're not, it's not a person. Um, and so I think that's going to maybe be smaller use cases initially, but I do see it expanding there at some point as the technology develops more. Um, there's some exciting stuff right now around like getting patients scheduled um, using generative AI where, you know, it can take what the patient says and the data in your EMR and your other systems and give a scheduling outcome for them. So like where before, you know, patient self-scheduling was really limited to, oh, I need to schedule my follow-up with my PCP. If my doctor allows that sort of visit to be scheduled, like maybe I can just go and do it through my chart. But now like these technologies are going to be sophisticated enough where I can say, oh, I have this case request out here to get my colonoscopy. Uh, here's all my medical history and here's what I've answered in these screening questions. Am I good to get scheduled? Yes. You talk to the AI and it schedules you like that. That's a that's a use case that's possible coming now, which I think is exciting for a lot of systems, but kind of baby steps when you start introducing patients and these technologies together. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. I was just curious, like, what does that look like to a patient? Is that like a text message that I'm interacting with an AI? Is that a my chart message? Like, yeah. what, what does that look like? Yeah, I don't think it looks like anything just yet. Uh, the closest thing we have is we have a lot of chatbots right now um, that are using some of this NLP and generative AI behind the scenes to have conversations with patients. But usually it's get the patient to a point where we can get them to the right person to talk to still. There's not a lot of like end-to-end -end sort of workflows um, where you're just dealing with an AI. Um, for that reason that we talked about just a minute ago, that like they don't have empathy. And when you're dealing with patients in sensitive health situations, like you need that still. So it's 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 tough. Uh, and I think, you know, in the future, the sky's kind of the limit, you know. <laughs> You've probably seen some of the stuff out there where, you know, AI can have a pretty effective conversation with a person and any voice. You know, <laughs> so at some point it's going to, it may get to the point where you don't know if you're talking to a person or a robot, which is a little spooky and a little exciting all at the same time. So we're seeing a, a lot of small startups, right? Or smaller companies doing this outside of the Amazons, Microsofts of the world. How do you think it's going to roll with like, companies like uh, a Waystar, uh, uh, Change Healthcare, you know, where they're in, uh, FinThrive, those type of vendors that are offering end-to-end -end revenue cycle solutions today. And some of it is leveraging, you know, machine learning or bots and things of that nature in their solutions, but it's not really covering the full, the full steam. Do you see the smaller vendors getting picked up or are you seeing, um, it, you know, these other organizations behind the eight ball and now having to build out their own uh, kind of what's your take? I I'm sure some of them were probably at Becker's as well in the, in the vendor, in the vendor hall. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, build it or buy it is certainly always like on their minds. Uh, I think some of them are positioned to build some of it, but some of the stuff is so far out of the realm of normal business for a lot of those bigger firms that like they're going to need, to either partner with a small firm and help them co-develop it um, and bring it to market, or they're going to have to buy. Um, there's just so much disruption right now. And I think it's really 
the stuff that's going to win in the short term is the point sort of solution, the stuff that's solving for a specific problem. Um, and I think that's right for startups to do because they're small, fast, and nimble and can tackle that problem. Now, whether they do that and reinvest in themselves and expand and continue to like grow their business and become like the next big player in the space, or they decide to exit and get bought by a big established player that's a good fit, um, I think it's kind of TBD. So from a so for our provider listeners out there, like if I'm stepping back and saying, okay, I know I need, you know, autonomous coding or I need this type of uh, a different solution to help my team. What are kind of some of your, you know, initial uh, after learning a little bit more of the lay of the land this this past few weeks, like and, and months, actually, what what is kind of what would you provide guidance to a a client or or to someone to say these are the things that you should probably start to consider right out of the gate. Yeah, um, I think you have to first address like your risk tolerance and what your long term strategy is. So, are you willing to take a little bit of a flyer on a new company that has promising technology that may not be fully baked out yet? Um, do you have that sort of innovation arm and that investment arm to partner with them to? build it together and potentially bring it to market together and have that be part of your business as a, as an organization. Um, or do you have longstanding relationships with um, larger platform partners? You don't have as much of a risk tolerance. You've been successful with them for a while. They've baked some of this technology for you already. You know, is that more palatable? Is that more aligned with your long-term strategy and your market? Um, is it enough just to take it a little slower, spend a little bit more on it um, and have something that's, you know, probably more has a better chance of success than, you know, investing in some small firm. So you just, you really need to think about like your, your long-term business strategy and how it integrates into the landscape right now. I know we didn't talk about this when prepping, but are there any like gotchas that you've heard about when folks have been thinking about that, like, or stories of, like something that like just is like bound to fail. Sure. Um, you know, I think we kind of went through it over the last couple of years with the cautionary tale of, you know, large VC funded firms that are trying to kind of solve the the world's problems. Uh, and they just happen to be in healthcare. Uh, so like be leery of that. I think everybody knows that now. Um, I don't know if they're gotchas. I just, I think it's, it's around like, your tolerance for risk as an organization and who you decide to work with. Um, there's so many vendors out there right now doing sort of similar things that um, you should really rely on your network uh, and other entities that have had any modicum of success with a lot of these firms. Um, you know, lean on your consulting partners that are out there in the market listening to all these different firms and have a take on all of them. Uh, I think just the, it's kind of like the more you know in that, <laughs> in, in the landscape right now, there's just so many firms um, that I don't think anybody knows who's necessarily gonna be the winner, but having like a robust strategy for evaluating them um, and, you know, not being afraid to ask them to, you know, do things at risk. Um, especially when it's an unproven technology or an unproven company. I think a lot of 
the players right now know that that's something that they need to do um, to get in and start proving out the stuff that they're developing. Um, so I just I just know like as a provider, like you're in a position to, you need to innovate and you need to pick partners, but you have like, you have some power in that relationship and what that looks like and you can shape it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I know in talking with my current client, we, you know, they just put out an RFI for autonomous coding, for instance, and looking at it, they're like, okay, well, what's the risk that we're willing to take? What's your risk as a company that you're willing to give us? And then on top of it, are you willing to give us a free try, run our data through your system and then give us a free trial so that we can see the actual outputs of ours and then have our coders look at it? Um, it, it, it will be interesting with AI how more and more of our organizations start to turn some of their revenue cycle team members into more of those auditor positions or, you know, dealing with the hard to deal with stuff versus the easy quick wins that, you know, are quick satisfiers. Like I've had a rough day of, of doing X and I need just some quick wins. Those are all going to disappear potentially with some of this technology as well. So thinking about how you're going to keep employees engaged and do that, um, we had Kelly Smith and Amanda Gordon on and, you know, Kelly was like, hey, we rolled out some bots here at OHSU um, and we let our team name the, bot the bots that we helped create with our vendor and stuff like that. So, you know, I think from a provider standpoint, how do you get your team engaged in the evaluation of it as well? So it's not just a leadership at making a decision, but it's also how do you... Um, get your frontline staff to see it so that you have some champions there to help get the rest of the team buy-in as well. Um, Cause I think that that's the other component of it is how you, how you manage it up um, bringing in the technology. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think it's, it's easy to sort of forget about the, the like <laughs> all the people that are going to need to support to make this work when you're just thinking about technology, like change management, all that sort of like, all that stuff we talked about for years when you're adopting, you know, Epic or new technology is going to be as important, if not more important, because the stuff's going to be as, if not more disruptive than going digital as a healthcare organization. Well, it's interesting too. I know like in the coding space, Epic's doing some development themselves right now in-house and and showing that on the professional side, but yet it's not there on the hospital side. And with more and more organizations going to a single path type model with one coder doing both PB and HB, it, you know, I don't know how that they're going to re-disrupt the market when they're rolling out their own portion. So um, I think we're all uh, we're all watching, but then we're all wanting to adopt as much as we can. You know, we're hearing clients say adopt as much as you can from the Epic platform versus trying to recreate it or buy uh, buy outside. So being smart about how you write your contract with your third party vendor too to say how do we get out um to be able to move to um whatever our emr solution is offering us now with their development that's a great point and that's actually one of the gotchas i should have mentioned before is like if you are gonna take on sort of a riskier sort of bet um and invest in sort of a new technology or try to go go with something that's unproven like you have to be ready to fail fast like you have to have a strategy for what happens and that doesn't work because there's no guarantees that it will. So being able to fail fast and know what you're doing next um, in the event that it doesn't work out and doesn't prove out to be what you want it to be, uh, 
I think is the biggest thing to know when you're getting into that relationship. So talking about relationships, where are we looking as an organization to start doing some additional partnerships um, around innovate, the innovation space? Yeah, I think there's still a ton of room for us to partner with other firms. You know, we we have a lot of that deep, epic and operational experience that we bring to our clients as a services firm. Um, we've had some strategic partnerships with some uh, technology firms right now. Uh, but we're looking for for more. I don't think we have like a preferred RPA vendor at this point. We're talking to a bunch of firms. Um, I don't think we have a preferred like outsourcing vendor at this point, but we're talking to a lot of firms. Um, and we're still trying to find, just like all the other health systems in the market and um, large consulting firms in the market, like we're trying to find some of those folks that we think are going to be winners uh, that we can do some direct investment with and co-develop solutions with. So, um, so kind of talking to everybody, uh, there's, there's fits for large tech firms and large outsourcers with us. You know, we, if we think that what you do complements what we do and uh, our reputations align in the market and there's complementary services, like we can have something as simple as a, as a referral arrangement together, or if you're sort of a new firm that really needs, the structure of uh, a boutique consulting firm that has a lot of experience in in uh, in ops and epic and revenue cycle, you know, there may be a fit there too for us to work on something together. So, sky's kind of the limit. Pretty cool. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Are you ready to unlock the full potential of your medical coding team? Look no further than Adeo Technologies, the leading provider of medical coding productivity solutions. With Adeo's Gemini Solution Suite, medical coders are empowered and complemented with cutting edge tools and technologies. The Gemini Coder platform, Gemini AutoCode, and Gemini Coding Assist solutions work seamlessly together, creating efficiency and improving accuracy in medical coding. Say goodbye to tedious manual processes, cheat sheets, and memorization, and embrace the power of workflow improvements, artificial intelligence, and predictive coding. At Adeo, we believe in the collaboration between medical coders and artificial intelligence to create coding capacity that makes human coders more valuable to their healthcare organizations. Visit our website at www.adeo-tech.com. It's adeo-tech.com to learn why we love coders and how Adeo Technologies is transforming medical coding productivity one claim at a time. Fine Medical serves a growing base of more than 800 active hospitals and health systems nationwide. Their best practices are hardwired through technology solutions, proven to help hospitals achieve sustainable top performance. Their well-published results include improving financial performance, physician and staff alignment, patient experience, compliance, and patient safety and quality measures. Learn more at finemedical.com. That's V-Y-N-E medical.com. And we're back. All right. Uh, we're going to transition to the Wilshire Lab. And no questions today is from listeners. Please, please send us questions. We'd love to talk about whatever you all are listening or thinking about. Uh, but Freeman, a question for you. We've been asking this to a lot of our guests. What is a profession, major professional accomplishment that you're most proud of? Ooh. Can I pick two? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Cool. Uh they're kind of a similar vein, but they're they're both a little bit different. So 
Um, from my consulting days, I got the opportunity to help bring MD Anderson live on Epic um, as part of that implementation. Um, that was such a massive project for such an amazing organization with that helped like the sickest patients in the world. Um, and so that was just an amazing thing to be a part of. Like I think that that's one of my favorite feathers in my cap was helping them get live. Um, and then in my non-compete year between my Epic days and my consulting days, I worked for the, the Missouri HIT Assistance Center. And in that role, I got to help a whole bunch of rural providers, like small mom and pop sort of doctor's offices across Missouri adopt EHRs and qualify for meaningful use dollars. Um, so I got to help a lot of like sort of operating on the margin practices get a bump um, both in technology and to like their bottom line. So that was really gratifying work. So I think those are probably my my two favorite accomplishments. Very cool. So our next question is, we're targeting more around for early careerist. Um, what was one piece of advice you would offer an early careerist um, to do as part of their professional growth? Yeah, I think for me, it would be network and find mentors. I think healthcare is kind of a complex space. It's going to go through a whole lot of changes over the next few years. So the more people you know and the more trusted advisors you have that have been in the business a long time or have a new fresh idea and are trying to build it themselves, like the more of those folks you can know and talk to um, and have those resources to help us navigate all this is going to be super important. So I think build your network and, and make sure you have some some mentors. Very cool. Thinking about MD Anderson, I had a, I remember back when I was at Epic, they used to do these, um, they call them like rotation trips for like new hires where you had to go somewhere just to like, like shadow almost. And I got to go to MD Anderson. That was a really cool spot. Um, yeah, to your point, just like they're doing really amazing work there. They are. So the funkiest parking garage, I felt like it was like so claustrophobic. It was so like, sh like the ceilings were so short. I still remember that in half years, <laughs> but, um, they, but thanks. They, oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. I was just going to say they, they really, uh, they really build them tall down in Texas, those parking garages. Everything's bigger <laughs> down there. Well, thanks for joining us, Freeman, uh, and for joining us on today's podcast evan remind me on the title today yeah it's episode 20 uh a special fields report on um navigating ai and innovation in healthcare brought to you by some sort of ai technology oh, <laughs> <laughs> by me. and freeman Sorry. folks oh go ahead evan i was gonna say Freeman is going to be our new field reporter as Tim's our new co uh, guest co-host going forward. <laughs> got to got to beef up the podcast, bring on more 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 talent here. Uh Freeman, if folks want to talk to you about anything that we talked about about Beckers, chat about your life or they have a question on a vendor they're looking at, uh what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh you can find me anywhere you'd usually find a professional uh colleague. LinkedIn's a great place to go. Uh my email is f.jenkins at the wilshiregroup.net if you want to email me directly, but um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you message me there, I'll, I'll get back to you. 
Awesome. Well, that's it for us today. Um, as Daniel said, if you have questions, please go ahead and submit those to us at uh, the Wilshire IT Ref oh, podcast at the Wilshire Group.net. Uh, and um, Freeman, we'll look for you after your next conference to come back and do another field report. So <laughs> it's a date. I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely. All right. That's it for us today. Bye bye. If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group. Experience you can trust. Results you can count on.